Welcome to Why on Earth Should I Gamify My Classroom? This is a podcast for teachers of all grade levels and will be about the ins and outs of gamifying your classroom. Some parents and students may also want to listen in to see what's going on in the world of education. Thanks for joining today. I'm Michelle Watron. I'm a grade eight teacher at Claiborne Middle School. I am so lucky to live and teach in what I think is one of the most amazing places on earth. I live and work in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, which is considered part of the traditional and unceded territory of the Stolo people, the Seth Math First Nation, and Matsqui First Nation. I'm grateful to enter this podcast and work with an open heart and open mind. Thanks for joining. Today's my first inaugural podcast, and we're going to be talking all about the basics of gamification in the classroom, something I'm becoming more and more passionate about as I learn and grow as a teacher. I've taught for more than 20 years, so I've seen it all from grades 6 to 11 in nine different schools. Although I have always engaged students through games in my classroom, usually for review, which probably a lot of teachers do. Right smack dab in the middle of COVID was the first year I implemented gamification in what was at the time my blended classroom, where sometimes we were online and sometimes we were face-to-face. You know what? I won't return back to my pre-gamification classroom anytime soon. I'm studying gamification in a master's program at Vancouver Island University. It's a program called OLTD, Online Teaching and Learning. Now, it's my hope that this podcast can be a resource for other teachers who might be interested in making the leap into gamifying their classroom, as well as providing a few minutes of entertaining content in the teaching profession. So I hope it goes well. Fingers crossed. Here we go. Many of you may not have experienced gamification and may be asking, you know what? In a world where students will graduate high school, some of them spending equal hours gaming that they do in the classroom, why in the world? would I gamify my class? Don't they get enough of it? Now think about that. In BC, students spend 947 hours of instruction in high school per year. And some studies are finding students are spending just as many hours gaming at home. Can you believe it? But I hope that's rare. I hope that's not a norm. COVID only intensified gaming for many students, right? What are they going to do when they're locked down at home? So there's an article on TeachSpot in July of 2020, and they did a survey of 4,750 adults in the United States, and they found that people spend an average of one full workday per week playing video games during that around, it was around two and a half months of shutdown. Oh my gosh, remember that? Respondents put in more than 110 hours of gaming while stuck at home a week. As well, during the pandemic lockdown, the average typical Gen Zer or Gen Zer, however you like to say that, which means they were born between 1997 and 2015, they found their gaming time increasing from what a typical student would have been spending 5.3 hours a week. Uh, it increased to 8.5 hours a week during that lockdown. Now, there's no studies to say how much of this increase in gaming stuck with our students after that lockdown, but I think it's safe to say there's a lot of gaming going on out there. So let me back up a minute. What is gamification and how is it different from just your average game? I want to start with one of my favorite TV shows when I was in my early 20s. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I'm going to go way back. Now, I wasn't in my early 20s in 1984, but 
way back in 1984, this guy named David Sefkin. He was sitting beside a swimming pool at the University of California at Berkeley. And he came up with this catchy, mysterious name of Carmen after this Brazilian singer that he liked named Carmen Miranda and last name San Diego after the city. And he wrote the humorous and interactive script for the company a broader bun. And it was, of course, called Where on Earth is Carmen San Diego? Now, for those of you young teachers out there who have never heard of this game or this TV that became a TV show, I am sorry. It was so much fun. Through a villainous character, Carmen San Diego, she continually stole recognizable items around the globe. So then it first started off as a computer disc. And Sefkin introduced this concept to the world. And maybe it was done before, but this was the first time it really took off. And he introduced the world to what we called at the time edutainment. And he pulled the viewer on the computer game into the story to interact with it. The viewer had to try to figure out clues about different places around the world to identify exactly where she was to catch her with this item she had stolen, such as the Mona Lisa, something like that. So many of these products seek to make education more attractive to young people and students, right? We kept going on and on. After Carmen in San Diego, there was something called uh, Reader Rabbit, the Oregon Trail. There were all kinds of them out there. I know my first two kids, when they were a lot younger, had some discs of Reader Rabbit and really taught them how to read. It was fantastic. They were sold in box sets and the popularity of this just skyrocketed, right? Now you skip ahead to present day and our students are now what's called digital natives who as mere toddlers had access to games on cell phones, tablets, game consoles, and even personal home computers. On a website called Library of the Future, the definition of a digital native is people who have grown up with internet access and depend heavily on mobile devices and they heavily consume social networking services. And they, this is kind of funny, they consider speed of their internet to be one of the most important characteristics of digital products and services. And a lot of times these digital natives will multitask across more than one device between work and entertainment at the same time. So they cannot imagine a world without technology. Now I bet in 2021, you can't be a student or teacher without seeing or playing or using some kind of game in the classroom. Now, before computers were staple, if you're you know older like me, you'll remember we did simple games, you know, bingo. We did Jeopardy, where all the review questions, you would give the answer and they had to answer in the form of a question, you know, and they would always get so excited and forget to do that. And you'd have to keep saying, be sure your answer is in the form of a question, right? But now, of course, in recent years, we're much more techie overall. And many of you have used uh, games like Kahoot. There's one called Vocabulary Jam that's cool. If you need to check it out, it's amazing. Blue Kit is really hot right now. And even Minecraft, right? A lot of uh, teachers are using Minecraft in the classroom to enrich learning and engage students. Now, while these games are wonderful and have been successful in engaging students, they're s simply putting a spinner or bells and whistles on activity, whether digital or physical, that's not gamifying your classroom. I just wanna make that clear. That is something else entirely. That's fun, that's wonderful, it's been successful, but we are taking this a step farther when we talk about gamification. Now, according to Carl Kapp, this is an author, 
He had a breakout book back in 2012 called The Gamification of Learning and Instruction. He explains the difference between games and gamification. CAP explains a game is a system in which players engage in an artificial conflict defined by rules and results and a quantifiable outcome. Okay, you got winners, you got losers, you got rules. By contrast, CAP goes on to say gamification is the use of a gameplay mechanics for non-game applications. In his definition, he talks about the consumer, right? If you have air miles or you get points for your credit card, this is all gamification, right? It's all part of our culture. He goes on to say gamification works by making technology more engaging and encouraging desired behaviors, taking advantage of human psychological predisposition to engage in gaming. So this technique can encourage people to perform chores, now listen to this, that they ordinarily consider boring. Sometimes, dear class, do you ever feel like some of your things are boring? I hope not, but I know over the course of 20 years, there's been a little boredom every now and then in my classroom when I can't quite get the kids on the right page or something else is going on in the world, or maybe it's just a bad day for me. So gamification can really help with that. While games in the classroom, you know, very common, gamifying is really, like I said earlier, going one step further. Now it can be argued that that edutainment of that where in the world is Carmen Sandiego has morphed into gamification platforms that now give teachers the ability to create quests for students to incorporate curriculum at each stop. So students aren't doing units anymore, they're taking quests. A quest can be a number of things, but to break it down, it's a unit of study and there's stops along the way where the student completes a task. Usually it can be an assignment where they're mastering a competency or some kind of content for your course. Each task they complete gives them experience points and that will help them level up. Of course, if you know anything about gaming and your students certainly do, Leveling up is a good thing and usually brings you more rewards like some of these Fortnites and games like that. You get new armor for your avatar, you get new powers, things like that are very good. So in gamified classes, as students complete assignments and they earn these XP points, experience points, it might work towards their grade. Now that sounds a little weird and off, but sometimes you can set everything up at the beginning of a term and say, here are quests that you can take choose the quests you want. Here are a few you have to do. These are essential. Here's some choice that you might have on which quest you want to take. And as long as you make it through the quest, show me your learning, you will get this many XP points. And then they can keep a tally of how many XP points they have during the term. And then at the end of the term, it's already shown at the beginning. If you get this many XP, you get this mark. If you get this many, you get this mark. So it's a one way to do it is to tie their mark to the XP points, but you don't have to do it that way. Okay, there's other ways to do it where points are just points and points are just fun and points give you more powers and level you up and things like that, but they they don't necessarily tie it to a great. Two different strands of gamification that we'll talk about in a later podcast. In 2011, there's a gamification guru named 
James Paul G. Now he's the guy. If you ever want to look him up on YouTube, he has a fantastic short video that explains 16 principles of good video game-based learning. Uh, I don't have time to go through all of them with you today, but he emphasized that game-based learning should be, I love this. This needs to be a podcast in the future. Game-based learning should be pleasantly frustrating for students. Isn't that awesome? I like the juxtaposition of this oxymoron, pleasantly frustrating. If only life was pleasant when it was frustrating, that would be so great. But it does make sense in the challenge level for students. Now, last year, I gamified my classroom through the online platform called Classcraft. So that's what I know best and that's what I'm really passionate about, but I never want you to think I'm only pushing Classcraft. I don't work for Classcraft, but I just really enjoy their platform. I incorporated my units into semi self-paced quests and I was so super happy with the buy-in and results. I really wasn't sure what my grade eight students would think when this, it's kind of looks like World of Warcraft, if you've ever played that or seen that game. And I didn't know what they would think. Would it be too babyish for them? Or would they think, oh, gamification, she's trying to be too cool. What is up with this teacher? But you know what? As soon as they were placed on teams, and that's another aspect I loved about it, and they were given the ability to create their very own avatars that actually look really cool, most of them were ready to jump in and play as in, you know, learn. And all with the goal of that extrinsic motivation of leveling up. At first, these rewards guided their play. And they, they in Classcraft, you get to choose between being a mage, which is kind of this uh, magical creature, or a healer that, of course, you know, heals people, <laughs> or guardians who are these big, strong people as well. So they get to choose which one they want to be after they get on their team. They make sure they have enough of each one on their team. I had about five on a team. And I tied it to Google Classroom. So I've always used Google Classroom. And it is also tied to Canvas. So there's two ways you can really incorporate what you've already built in your units right into a quest in Classcraft, and I love that. So um, they started earning points for the assignments that they handed in, more points if they handed it in on time. So good. One issue that I've had in the past was that, you know, it really was eating up my time because students turned in assignments late. My district doesn't allow penalties for this infraction, you know, and, and rightly so. Uh, we can't put a timeline on learning. It doesn't matter when the students learn the curricular competency, just as long as they master it. I am a believer of that. However, organizationally, for me as a teacher, it is hard to keep up with late assignments coming in two or three weeks before the term is over, right? So, you know, some students do have different processing time. I agree they need more time. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't getting frustrated for some forward-thinking students that figured out the system and was only turning in things late because they could, not because they needed the time. So by adding points, even more points for students turning in things early, wow, did that was that a game changer? I started getting more and more assignments on time and early, and it was just so much easier for me to grade the current assignments, give feedback in a timely manner. I just really appreciated that extra boost of motivation for the kids to turn in their assignments on time. Now there's another app out there called Duolingo. It's a free app and you may have heard of it. It helps students learn a second language. So some teachers use it as they're teaching French or Spanish or whatever the language may be. And it totally gamifies vocabulary, syntax, use of words, things like that through their app. 
and users earn XP when they're doing these activities. One thing I wanted to emphasize about Duolingo is that it has something called the streak. If you have teenagers at home, like I do, on social media, I know for sure you have heard about The Streak on other apps like maybe, say, one little one you may have heard of called Snapchat. Wow. It is a real status symbol to keep a streak with a friend, which essentially says you and this other person have sent a snap or a picture to each other within the last 24 hours. And as many of those consecutive days that you've done that, you add a number to your streak. Now, some kids have 200, 300, even over 500, maybe even a thousand in their streak. And that is a huge status symbol in their little world. I shouldn't say little world, their world, right? It's a big deal. I know my personal kids at home, when we go out camping, the thing right after they pack all their snacks and their schmores and chocolates and candies and all the yummy snacks they want to take camping, the next most important thing on their list of priorities is to get someone to send their snaps while we're gone. That is huge because, uh, you know, a lot of campsites don't have data or definitely not Wi-Fi. So they have to make sure these streaks don't get lost. It would be very depressing if they did. So I have noticed lately that they're not quite as addicted to these streaks as they have been in the past. So, you know, time will tell what the next new big thing is. But they obviously know this lingo um, uh, streaks from this type of culture that they have within their generation. Now, if we go back to Duolingo, over the years, they have really cashed in on this concept of the streak. When you open up their app, the streak number is prominently displayed beside a fire icon. And that streak shows every day that the user has met their daily XP goal. So they've gone through a certain part, a certain lesson each day, and that gives them a number on their streak. Now, that's, of course, a very powerful extrinsic motivational tool. And of course, no one wants to lose those streaks, right? So how can this translate into your classroom? Well, I don't know. I haven't done this before, but I was trying to think of this myself. Maybe you can have a bulletin board in your classroom where students can see their streaks for maybe turning their homework in on time or participating in a class discussion. Do you have those students that you know are brilliant but are too scared to talk in class? Maybe this would be a way to motivate them to talk. Or, you know, something else you're trying to emphasize for that week or month, you can change it up as you go. Don't underestimate the power of the streak. And I think that might be something I try out this year. Well, that wraps it up for today and for our podcast on why on earth would I gamify my classroom? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Watrin, and be sure to do the best thing you can as a teacher, and that is take care of yourself. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.